You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online occasionally, anyway. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. I hope you're well. The interview subject I have coming up for you is from a British band, British band, God will get it out, called Devil Sold His Soul. His name is Joseph Naroki. Now, Joseph, if you're listening, I apologise if I've butchered the pronunciation of your surname there. Now, the reason for the conversation with Joseph is because the group have a new album out. It's their debut for Nuclear Blast. It's already out. It was released on the 9th of April, and it's called Loss. Now, I open the conversation here by talking to Joseph about the nature of clickbait websites. You know the ones. Blabbermouth, Metal Injection, that sort of thing. Um... But I didn't press record on Zoom, so I only get half of the conversation. But it's still, you know, worthy banter, as I like to say. So I've left it in there. Just thought I'd give you the heads up if you're wondering why the audio cuts in mid-sentence or thereabouts. There's your reason. Anyway, here he is. Joseph Naroki from the British band Devil Sold His Soul. A lot of metal fans tend to be very similar to... uh the women who read those uh, tabloid magazines, they're interested in the gossip. Okay. And not the, not the nitty gritty. And I've got to be honest with you, the numbers reflect that, you know, Blabbermouth and uh, the other news aggregation sites, if it's controversial, some band member talking shit about another band member, they're all over it. If it's something positive, like this great baseline you've, you've just written or something like that, which I'm personally interested in, it it barely gets a click. (laughs) I don't know, you know, that's the media these days, you know, it's just people desperate for clicks. I mean, the, the, the big boys, you know, they're just fighting fighting each other for, for the big clicks. And they, so. how, how do you guys find it on that front? Because you've, you've got a pretty good album here that should be able to cut through, but it, it is very difficult to cut through, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, what could I say about it? Well, we, we, did, a, we did pretty good. It's the first time we charted. I don't know if, if you had a chance to see that, but we can't. Hmm. I think we got to number two in the metal and rock chart in the UK, which is yeah, like cool, surreal for us. Obviously, that um, the numbers aren't what they would have been ten years ago, but you know, it gives us an opportunity to to chart, and so it's a uh, it's still a vindication of, of what we've done. I think we're pretty we're pretty happy with whatever comes, you know. Yeah, yeah, we've managed, yeah. We've managed to. We've, We've managed to up the game for ourselves, so mm. that's all we can ask for, really. Yeah. Do, do you reckon this album's a concept album for you guys? Would you describe it as something similar to that? Because, uh, you know, with the title being lost, it's a very singular and identifiable title that I think every single person yeah. that's lived through the coronavirus lockdowns can relate to. Yeah, and that's, that's the interesting thing is that I said this in another interview, but it's just like almost eerie timing because, um, I mean, people know, people who listen to us know that we have a sort of melancholy uh, vibe to the music and always always have. So mm. I don't know if you'd call it a, a concept album, but it's definitely a theme, a strong theme. It was, I don't think it was ever intentional, but um, there was an event that happened a couple of years ago when we started writing the album, which has been mentioned in other uh, in other interviews, but so one of our um, one of our members' mums died, sort of super suddenly over like a Boxing Day or something like really mm. shocking, 
obviously affected everyone pretty deeply having um, you know been a band together for so long and still being pretty young where that kind of thing doesn't really happen so that happened really early on in the writing process maybe three years ago and so I, I wouldn't say it's a concept album but it's definitely it's definitely the, the theme and in some ways I suppose it was on purpose so, you know what else can you write about when something that big is it's just there it's all pervasive yeah isn't it something yeah. like that Exactly, and just there's so many facets to, to it and so many feelings and over time the feelings change and you feel different ways and you know, denial and anger and sadness and sort of like then like a hope or taking some joy in, in good memories, you know, which you can do later on and not so much early on. And mm. so, yeah, there's just there's so much ground to cover that I think that's probably probably the best way to summarize it did you did you have the album recorded as in tracked and in the can prior to COVID-19 because uh, yeah. last year was so crazy I find it really hard to remember what we did when but so mm. last year I remember eight I'm pretty sure it was around April that the guys went back in to do the vocals which means that and I remember it was November 19 that I think that I was recording. So the drums would have been around August mm-hmm. 19. So I think that, and I remember it was snowing when we were writing. So that one would have been the winter of 18, 19. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think that pretty much answers it. We kind of started in the summer of 19 and we had that break because of the first lockdown, which was in March here last year. Hmm. And then um, the, the the singers got in and did all the vocals, and then it was sort of mixed and mastered in the summer last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so did um, are you with Sharp Tone or with Nuclear Blast? Or it's Sharp Tone, isn't it, with you guys? Uh, Nuclear Blast. Put oh, Nuclear Blast. Okay, there you go. Do, do, what yeah. were their thoughts on on the the release date? Were they were you caught up in the, the run of bands that had things that were ready and due to be released throughout, you know, nobody had a crystal ball, so we didn't know COVID was going to happen. So we uh, caught up in that. Yeah. I mean, the, the way I remember it is that we, we were talking with some labels and trying to decide what was best for us. And um, Nathan Barley, who's our, who's over at Nuclear Blast News, obviously he's, He's someone who he's the person who basically ran basic records, which put out belong to Trey. So we've known him a long time, and he was like, "Look, I want to want to put this out with Nuclear Blast. Um, hold on for a while." And he kind of he sorted that out for us with Nuclear Blast, getting us uh, a deal that would make everyone happy. And then I believe it was then that actually decided on the on the release date being April this year. So we were sitting on it for what, six, seven, maybe more months. I mean, I didn't, I didn't actually listen to it because obviously when you're writing and recording, you hear the stuff so much. I remember when I, when we got the masters back last end of last summer or autumn, I just deleted it off my phone. It was like, okay, that's it. I'm not listening yeah. to it now. And I didn't listen to it basically until it was released, until I, until I got my own copy because I, I knew it was going to be a long time and I didn't want to be sick of it. Well, you know, you know how it is. 
just didn't didn't want to over over listen to it. So I do, yeah. But they uh, they certainly they suggested the release day, and we were happy with it. You know, we we know they know what they're doing, so it's all good, all good for us. Yeah, yeah. That's um that's an interesting point you raised there about uh, you live with an album for so long, particularly when you're writing it. Then you get through the the mixing and all the various arguments, not arguments, but the argy bargy that happens around, especially being a bassist. I've got to say. Yeah. And uh, did did you find that though with the mixing side of things that there was uh, the temptation from some of the band members potentially or the mixing engineer to maybe not have the bass as prominent as you wanted it? Oh, uh, oh no, no, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know. If you know a lot, but I, I actually, I'm not really a bassist. I, I'm a guitarist who just plays bass in, in this band. All oh, right, okay, there you go. I was, in, um, I, I was in a couple of other bands before playing guitar, um, and it was it was my old band. It was a band called Renoa, which was like um, a kind of proggy hardcore band. Actually, Johnny produced our album 2010, and that did that did really well. But we ended up splitting up for like personnel reasons, not personal mm. reasons, but personnel reasons. And um, and having toured with Devil in 20, 2008, I think, we we were their support. And so when Ian left, they said, oh, do you want to, um, we know you, do you, we assume you can play bass, you play guitar, do you want to play bass? So that's how I ended up playing bass. But um, I don't consider myself a bassist. I don't, I don't, um, not, not to insult you, obviously. I knew you were hoping probably for a, a nice bass chat, bass, bass to bass, but really, yes, it's guitar. But um, I kind of, I, I keep it real easy with bass stuff. I don't even write the bass lines until, not properly until the studio. Yeah. So I'm not super um, precious about it. There are a few bass lines on the, on the album that I really like, particularly on uh, Witness Marks, which was just, which was kind of written, which has got quite a lot of um, runs. Yeah, and that was written. That was in, written in in when we were writing the song, and I was like, oh, you know, this is actually this is actually bass. This is actually a bass line, not just a guitarist playing bass. Mm-hmm. So that was that was pretty fun. But um, I've never had a I've never had a, any sort of crossed word with anyone about how loud the bass should be. They know how loud it should be. It should be should be just right. Yeah, yeah. No, I just I, <laughs> I did one session once, and uh, I probably some of the best bass lines I'd ever written. Uh, and studio felt good, got the CD back. Cause you know, you tend to walk away and get on with your life and go back to your day job and your wife and all the rest of it. And a couple of months later, get the CD and I'm listening to it and going, am I even on this? Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and, but it's so, it's so common for bass to be, to be buried, but it's yeah. I, I see, I've got the issue. I've got the opposite issue to you and that I'm a bassist who plays guitar. Uh, but I haven't done a lot of recording in a long time, mate, actually it's uh it's just not something I like doing these days. I just don't have the time to sort of commit to it. And uh, and I had the first band reach out to me in years and ask me to not join, but audition, which was, you know, with the view to joining. But uh, no, I just, I'm 43 these days, mate. I've got two kids. I can't, I can't do anything like that anymore. It's just those days are gone. I'm glad I did it back in the day. But, yeah. um, but, but for you, for you as well, and for, for the band, so I'll flip it back to you guys, but um, the, the touring side of things. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with the horrendous lockdowns that you guys are going through over there. Um, is there any light in the horizon on that front with the EU and the restrictions and the like with movement that you can tour sometime soon? Um, 
Well, EU-wise, I'm really, I really haven't got a clue. Um, I've actually, I, I'm not from the UK myself. My family all lives in Europe. And uh, mm. I spent a lot of last year kind of worrying and wondering about how I'm going to get to Europe to see my family. Mm. And it got to the point where I just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't watch the news anymore. I couldn't look it up anymore. I couldn't find out who was on the green list, who's on the red list, how long you got quarantined for. All this, I just couldn't stand it. So I personally have just kind of, uh, I've stopped checking until I can find out properly, you know, until there's like an announcement. Mm. Speculating. So in, in that same regards, I don't think, um, I don't think the band is really, considered what what's going to happen with Europe um just because no one knows and there's just there's just it's all so up in the air you know we got we got some lists that we can of countries we can go to and they're like the Faroe Islands and Grenada and uh, Fiji and Australia I think you know <laughs> not really that helpful for us so yeah I don't think we, I don't think we I don't think we've really even spoken about it I mean first of all we just like to play some shows in the UK mm. you know can, can so, you do that though? Is, is that an option for you guys at the moment in the UK? Um, I, th- I think there's supposed to be some stuff in the summer, some bands and some um, some festivals rather. Mm. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any tours in the summer, but I've seen a couple of festivals. But I've also heard that um, some events are being cancelled already because of um, because of insurance, because of the producers of the, yeah. of the shows can't get to all the promoters but producers if, if you're talking uh, theatre can't get the insurance and so they're already giving up um, but we're looking at next year for touring the UK at least and mm. I know um, I think I think got, um, one of my good friends is uh, Josh Middleton who's in uh, Silosis and um, Architects mm. and I see today that Silosis seems to be playing a festival this year but I know that architects aren't doing anything till next year, so it depends on the band as well. Depends on what their individual plans are, but uh, I think we're I think we're just looking at next year. To be honest, yeah, it's probably the best strategy. Yeah, I know that's um, we, we've we, us being a continent here, we just lock down the flights. Of course, the government has done that, which means that the um, rates of infection have been contained to virtual zero. Look, literally zero. I think at the moment is where we're sitting. Um, yeah. So. That means that um, you know the politics of it aside. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. it still means that we can play gigs and perform and the like. I did my first the other night, Saturday night, for example, and okay. um, it's nice to be able to get into it. I've got to say, you'll know what I mean once you're up there on stage. It's very strange, particularly as you're a career musician, to have not played for twelve months live. It's it's an odd feeling when you get back up on stage. There, it's like becoming reacquainted with something, and mm-hmm. and the the big thing, mate, was the muscle memory. Okay. It's all there still. (laughs) Yeah. And I I was very concerned about that because I did a couple of runs through the, I played covers, so about about 70 odd songs. But uh, I thought, am I going to be able to pull this off on the night? And you do because, you know, that's just what we do as musicians. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's that's good to hear. That's giving me a bit of um, good, yeah, a bit of a bit of a good vibe about it. I mean, my my main worry is my back. My back's been killing me. So. Maybe that's just too much head banging when I was younger, more like body banging. <laughs> My whole back's gone, but uh, yeah, that, that honestly, that's that's the thing that's worrying me, like getting back on stage and like being able to move like, like yeah, I used to, but yeah, I have to, I have to do something about it. And I, 
Yeah, just turn into Mick Mars and pretend you're a statue. You know, Mick Mars <laughs> has got that issue with his back, you know, he can't move. Yeah, that's it, just stands there, you know. Hey, just, just talking about the album again, uh, probably my favourite cut uh, from it is Burdened, um, okay. which I felt had a bit of a black blackish metal feel to it. Yeah. Do you think that was intentional? Uh, well, in, in a sense, I mean, I've um, myself and probably maybe Ed, um, we both like sort of some versions of black metal. Probably for me, it's more <clears throat> more the metal side, Dimmerborgia and Credit and hmm. actual black metal. <clears throat> well, okay, actual. Yeah, let's not get into that, but like more <laughs> popular black metal. And then, uh, you know, everyone likes a bit of Death Heaven, don't they? So. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So I remember even six, seven years ago, before. That night that we met Bali about putting out the basic, the, the um, Blonde Betray on basic, I remember talking to Lex about like, I really want like a blast beat of some some description in a song. Hmm. Because uh, for, for people who followed us from the start, we've been really slow and, and really like halftime sort of beats. And each progressive um, release has had like songs that are like progressively faster, drum beat wise. So there's like more of a punk beat on uh, Empire of Light. That's three albums in. That was the first one. So, you know, I remember when we did that, we were like, oh, sh- oh you know, we're going to do like a punk beat. What, what's people going to say about this? Mm. You know, we were pretty worried about it, but that went over fine. And so it's like, well, what do you do next? You've got to do uh, some kind of some kind of blast beat, I guess, just try and get a bit faster. And we never had a song that really suited that. And then we had this, um, we ended up with Burdened, which is quite a simple, quite a simple song, really. It's just a, a, a chord progression, and then it's got like this low, this low, um, this low breakdown sort of riff. But when we when we started playing that, we just we just thought this is perfect for that for that drum beat that we were looking to match with something like that fast, a fast beat. So yeah, it's something that we were looking to try out in a song and. As soon as we came across that that chord progression and that song, it's just like marriage made in heaven. And then yeah, makes makes the uh, black metal fans in the band pretty happy, I think. It's good to hear. It's good to hear that you've embraced a lot of that, actually, because uh, it sounds like the band is... uh, I love the T-shirt you've got on, by the way, Kublai Khan TX, a great band. That that released a couple of years ago. Yeah, incredible release. But not a lot of people knew it. You always mm. out there. I don't think uh, not a lot of people know about the band. I should say, but they're one of the most crushing hardcore bands I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, so, you, yeah. Well, you got good taste in music, yeah. So, hey, what do you guys do when you when you're sitting around and you're, you're writing material? Do you do? Because you, that's a very good description you just gave to me, where you said you wanted some blast beats in there. So, there's obviously a lot of intention when you're bringing techniques and styles into the songwriting. Yeah, it, yeah. I would say it's it's half and half. It's it's. We will never get away from the devil sound because that is just what, I mean, it sounds so cliche, but that is, that is what comes out of everyone. And that's, that's always the channel. That's, that's, that's just where it ends up. It's either like Mm. melancholy sad or melancholy happy. You know what I mean? It's never like happy, happy. So um, we always, we always know what's going to sound, what the sound of devil is and, and, what feels like us 
but then we do obviously being a band that's done three or four albums you know we want to try some stuff out mm. if, it, if it's a faster beat or if it's um so for example in burden the, the low the low riff is a um is uh, what's that what's those pedals called the uh, uh the pitch the pitch uh, pedal, oh, shifter. The, yeah the pitch shifter yeah. pedal yeah yeah on, on the guitars for that low riff yeah and so there's so there's always like bringing in new ideas and stuff just sprinkling something to keep keep the uh, the technical side of it interesting for us whereas the the artistic side of it is always interesting to us but just keeping those ex- like new ideas and sprinkling them in so that's I'd say it's a, it's a bit of technical fun and a little bit of sort of artistic direction that we know is going to be there. You see what I mean? Mm. What, what do you listen to in your spare time? Um, well, I actually don't, don't listen to music in the house just because I just don't. But, you um, make so much so, of it. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But it's mainly... Um, for me, it's mainly gym music. So, Kublai Khan, Despised Icon, Cannibal Corpse, um, stuff like that, really. Uh, just heavy, mostly just heavy, brutal stuff. And I let the other guys listen to the other stuff. You mentioned you were from Europe earlier. So, uh, I'm going to make an assumption. Correct me uh, if I'm wrong, and apologies if I am, if it's a, you know, one of those things like a, Kiwis don't like being called Australians and vice versa, to be yeah. honest. But are you, are you from Poland originally? Uh, Slovakia, actually. Slovakia. So that's, that's a very decent guess. That's not offensive at all. Okay, right. Yeah. What, what drew you to the UK? Was it educated, education or something else? Oh, it's, uh, no, I came over when I was younger. So, um, it's a family. Family move. Uh huh. Okay. So moved over with the family and grew up here, and then family effed off back to Europe and uh, left me. <laughs> left me here. No, I'm like, you know, my life is dry. here. Yeah. <laughs> well, my life is here for the time being, anyway. So it's, it's fine. But um, yeah, Slovakia originally. In fact, I just had them. Um, it was very nice for me, especially being a bassist. Um, mm. When I was growing up, I used to we used to live near a train station and. I'd always see this magazine called Rock Hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know Rock Hard? Yeah, German, I think, isn't it? Yeah, German. And there's yeah. like a there's a Czechoslovakian um, edition, mm-hmm. and I actually had an interview, my own like my own interview in it this month for the, the Czech Slovak edition. So awesome! That was really cool for me because obviously they they were asking me about you know how the gender up in the UK, how the gender up you know playing guitar, playing bass, and blah blah blah, and. It was just so cool. Like I didn't tell my dad or my mum about it until it was actually out. And then I said, oh, I should go down the shop, or go, you know, down to the station and uh, have a look at page 60 in Rock Hard magazine. And yeah, they were texting me today saying they're really, uh, really pleased. And it was just a nice little milestone for me personally. That's funny. I shared a milestone and now you've got one too. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, but, the, but they're the moments that matters, aren't, matter, aren't they? You know, you... I don't know. Look, my, my, my family couldn't have given a shit about my musical pursuits, but it sounds like as though your family are very supportive. Oh, yeah, def- oh, 100%. I mean, I mean, I, I only listen to like super heavy stuff now because of, as I say, it's just gym music. So I love it, but like, that's the only mm-hmm. place I really listen to. But growing up, growing up, I was listening to music all the time. Like um, my dad is a, is a big time record dealer in, in Slovakia and uh-huh. used to come over and do record fairs in the UK and stuff when I was a kid. Yeah. So I used to go to record fairs in Bristol, London, 
um, Birmingham, you know, all, all big record fairs, just thousands of vinyls, thousands of CDs, always buying CDs. So listening to the Beatles, listening to, my dad played me Foo Fighters when I was, you know, 11, first album. And he was always wearing like a offspring uh, smash t-shirt and stuff. So like got into music through him and through my mum yeah. and, yeah, they they bought me my first guitars, obviously, and they always uh, they always supported it 100. You know, so it's been really cool. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, how how many great guitarists, bassists, drummers, that sort of thing have been lost to history from the perspective that uh, they had the God given talent, but the parents just went, "You're not playing the guitar or the bass. That's garbage. Put it down." Yeah, I mean, that was virtually what happened to me. I think I was told to turn it turn it down and turn it off so often that. This is well before this is in the 90s so there right. wasn't you basically had to listen to headphones or or just turn the bloody thing down and just sort of put your head next to the amplifier oh, yeah, and yeah. keep going yeah no um, computers same with me i had a little marshall park amp in my bedroom and just like learning uh cold chamber riffs and uh corn riffs and stuff right that's how i learned play yeah, I've just written a book actually where I talk about that sort of stuff, how uh, well before computers came along and we had Scarlet interfaces or whatever it might be and access to Pro Tools or even understood how to use Audacity properly, that you had to sit there with headphones like this and basically mm. turn your amp up loud enough so that you could hear yourself playing over the top of the music that you were trying to copy. <laughs> but, but it made you a better musician, I feel. I think that's the platform that... Now, I, I give me enough time. I'm not saying I can, I can learn everything, but most of what I do learn is by ear. And I think mm. I, I do put the foundation that I have, I would have probably learned how to do it anyway. But do you find that, that that gave you a great foundation to have a good musical ear? Well, I I don't know how much, uh, I don't know how much credit I'll give myself as a musician, really. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't come from it. I don't come at it from a very technical place. You know, I don't count myself as a, a great guitarist or a great bassist or anything. I, I I love it more for the the feeling and the the energy and the catharsis and the 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 notes and the music and the feeling more so than I never really sat down and punished myself. I'm not saying that you did, but I, I never really punished myself for like five hours trying to learn stuff. It just wasn't mm-hmm. this wasn't in me. I wish I did because. Um, you know, knowing someone like Josh in Solosis and Architects, you know, since we were like 18 or something, he was at, he was at home all, all the time playing guitar, like, and he knew all his like Egyptian scales and he, he wrote them down for me to like learn. I was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to go to the pub instead. <laughs> I would <laughs> too, actually, on that point. <laughs> so I would as well on that point. My God. Yeah. yeah. That stuff, all the, the yeah. modes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but he knows it all, and obviously now he's reaping the, the rewards. So, so maybe yeah. I should have, but I didn't. But yeah, just as a as a teenager, it was more. Oh, I want to learn how to play, you know, uh, Foo Fighters songs and Corn songs, and yeah. it's just tuning up and tuning down constantly, playing like listening by ear, just learning how to play songs. I never, probably, maybe I could, you could say I never took it seriously enough, but I've I've been happy with the with the output I've had with bands so. Uh, yeah, I'm proud of everything. Well, it's worked for you because you're a career musician, man, and that's what that's God. God, I mean, it's you've done. You're doing it. You've done it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, yeah, I've got no no regrets. Oh, okay, maybe I've got a tiny regret. Maybe a tiny bit better on guitar. Yeah, listening to Josh, but no, that's fine. I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> We've all got that. 
We've all got musicians yeah. envy. Don't worry about that. You know, that's just a normal normal party. I'm sure Al Dimiola uh, has uh, musicians envy too when he listens to someone like Joe Pass, Joe Passamendo, or someone like that. It's just a natural part of being a human. I think that. Yeah, I mean, there's always something about you, especially if you don't practice as much as uh, you should. But <laughs> hey, I'll, I'll make this my final question for you then. Um, okay. Just because I'm I'm Australian and I'm based here. Have you had a lot of feedback from Australian fans over the years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you'd say a lot. I don't really pay attention to where people are from, but I've certainly seen comments of of people in um, in Australia saying, you know, please come to come to us. Same as same as any other country, Canada and the US. I mean, the US mm. is pretty big for us. Surprisingly, we've never been there. I don't even know if, presumably our album's out over there. It must be on Nuclear Blast, so it must be. And uh, mm. Century Media put, must have put our album out a couple of albums ago. But um, yeah, I mean, listen, we, we have done what we would expect to have done in the UK, I suppose, in terms of our size and our, our popularity. Because it's, mm. it's a small country, you can't tour it, you know, for months and make a shitload of money and shitloads of fans. Um, we'd like to visit abroad. We went to Japan a couple of years ago, 2018, for the first time ever, and that mm. was like sensational for us. When you're when you're sitting in the park in the middle of Tokyo, and you're like, we're here because of the riffs. You just think this is crazy. Yeah. And so. Obviously, that's kind of what we want to build on. Getting in the charts in the UK was really good, um, something that we hadn't expected. But if we can, if we can push abroad, put, you know, push to Australia, push to Canada, push to the States, that would be that would be just insane for us. I think you know it's one thing to keep putting out albums, but it's uh, the stuff you remember as well is is all those little experiences you get from going to countries you've not not been to before. So I know that's what we. That's what we really want to do. That's awesome. Well, you, I mean, you can't do anything any more than what you guys are doing with the band and with the album to achieve that. No. <laughs> no, and, no, it's a case of, uh, just a case of a promoter and someone who's maybe willing to put us on a support or something over in Australia. I don't know. I mean, we'll have to see. We'll have to yeah, see. well, once the... Uh, I, I like what you're talking about with the... Uh, the festival's um, firing up again. And 2022 seems to be when things are starting to be booked again. I noticed Kings of Leon are coming down here in the next few months, but they're an enormous band with the, you know, they've got literally hundreds of thousands of followers down in Australia. It's a, you know, they're bankable in that they are. But when it comes to rock and metal, hmm. it's, uh, you know, you, the, the problem is here, mate, the venues, some of the venues went out of business. And it's not oh, like right. as though there's, there's not like as though there's five venues to pick from in a city. There's one or two in a big city right. like Sydney or Brisbane. So, okay. so those venues need need. I don't I, I don't even think there's a metal venue in Brisbane anymore. I think it closed down. I could be wrong. Really? But uh, I think there's an all-purpose venue which sucks because it loses that inner city club yeah. metal beer soaked. You know that ambience that are so essential. I think for for shows like yours to to, to carry the full energy that I think you intend. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the best thing you can hope for, if something like that closes down, it wasn't because 
it wasn't because people weren't going to metal shows presumably it's because of the pandemic so yeah exactly yeah i mean i've uh, our, our main sound guy um has been doing our sound you know for, for the whole time um he actually was made redundant he was a um, he went from being a sound engineer to being uh, an audio visual guy for corporate stuff mm. and his, his company basically you know everyone was made redundant there was like one or two people left the owners uh he was gone for a year practically a year in furlough and then redundant and then they sold the company to some rich dudes and now he's hiring everyone back because obviously there's going to be people who have done well or people who've done even better during the pandemic and they can then come back on the other side and reopen stuff or re-buy stuff and reopen it so you know hopefully that's what you get yeah hopefully yeah yeah no true so well i'd love to see you guys down here um you know good luck with everything congratulations on the success you've achieved so far and mate just for doing it being a working musician when you could have shuffled off to an office job somewhere and climbed the bullshit corporate ladder you've decided not to do that you're playing the rock and metal and i've said it so many times it's so important that you do keep doing this it's important for people's mental health that they hear your music you know and yeah uh, yeah yeah i think um that is actually a quite quite a poignant point, really, especially with with this album, as you say, just because of the whole pandemic and everything, and the kind of the, the singers, especially, you know, to give them credit, you know, put everything out on there on the on the into the ether with the with the lyrics and everything. Is some of it's quite hard to listen to, mm-hmm. um, and I, and the, some of the comments that we've had back, and some of the reactions, and some of the messages, like. You know, bring you to tears reading them because it's like so so um you've gone straight into the to their veins really with with what you're saying sure. and they're really people are really responded and as you say it's um mental health big big thing at the minute and um big thing to worry about at the minute and uh i think the album hopefully will help a few people i mean it's, i said i said to my mum and my dad you know a long time ago Whoever, however much money we make out of this stuff, whatever, you know, if I send you the messages that people send to us, you see that you've managed to make a difference yes. to someone's life, a yes. positive difference, you know, or like save someone's life or whatever, because they met, they listened to some songs that made them feel better, then you've got to be doing something right. And um, that's the best thing you can ask for, really. Yep. Yeah. In the absence of everything else, you've got that to hold on to. And it's an extremely worthy thing to, to uh, feel some sense of accomplishment and pride through. So look, yeah, as I say, brother, congratulations on, on just being able to do it, you know, with the album loss here. Uh, I hope it goes even further for you guys. So uh, no doubt we'll uh, have an opportunity to chat on the next, uh, next album or tour run. Yeah. Thanks so much. I hope we, uh, hope we see you in, uh, in Australia sometime in the near future. Yeah. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, brother. Appreciate the chat. Take care. All right. You too. Catch ya. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Thanks so much for tuning in. The interview subject you just listened to is from a group called Devil Sold His Soul. He's the bassist and his name, Joseph Naroki. Thanks so much for tuning in.